Welcome to the Blanchard Leader Chat Podcast. Hi, this is Ken Blanchard. We need a new leadership model in business today, one that values both people and results, where leaders see their role as serving instead of being served. In this podcast, my friend and colleague, Chad Gordon, interviews experts who help us explore different aspects of leadership. I know you'll be encouraged and inspired by what you hear and you'll walk away with ideas and insights that will help you be the type of leaders others want to follow. Ready to get started? I'll be back at the end of the interview where I'll share what I've learned and how I'll be putting it into action. Now enjoy this installment of the Blanchard Leader Chat Podcast. Jake Jacobs, welcome to the Blanchard Leader Chat Podcast. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, Chad. Thanks so much for having me. It's so good to have you here. Your your latest book, Eight Ways to Achieve Faster, Easier, Better Results, Leverage Change. Why have you dug into this topic so thoroughly? Why do you feel like this is this is an area you really wanted to focus on and bring some of this latest research to the people? Sure. Well, uh, Chad, I work with people who lead change in organizations of all types and all kinds of change. And um, in my career, I've been doing this 35 years. They they often are frustrated. Uh, change is uh, too hard. It's too slow and too often disappointing. And so I sat back with the 35 years of experience and distilled what I had learned into this book, Leverage Change. And that subtitle that you read about faster, easier, better results is really the punchline to the whole thing, that um, the pain that people have associated with uh, change and the anxiety, I I don't believe that those are required. Um, I think they're optional and uh, misery is optional along with it. So there are much easier and better and faster ways for people to bring about change in organizations. And and that's what gets me out of bed in the morning. And it's what got me writing this book. Yeah, I love it. At Blanchard, our research shows that uh, that, that people go through predictable stages of, of change. And, I, and, and what you're sharing is there's a way to to avoid some of those pain points, which I love because everybody that looks at change and especially the things that we've gone through here in the last you know, year and a half, there's been just constant change. What I like about the idea around leveraging the change is, is, is it's almost like a, less of a victim mentality and more of a just let's attack this, let's utilize this, and let's, let's, let's um, get through the process a lot better. What, what do you feel like um, is, is some of the best takeaways when you think about um, approaching um, some of the unknowns and actually make it into a positive. Because so many people look at change in such a negative way. Yeah, so I, I I think you're right on it, Chad. That mindset and and perspective have everything to do with our experience in the world. And how we choose to see things is how we end up experiencing them. So the the leverage change, I love this idea about like attacking it because it really is a proactive way to create your collective future. And the, the concept of leverage, I got this actually going back a long, long time uh, to a man named Archimedes, who is a third century BC Greek mathematician. And listeners might be saying, why is he talking to me about a Greek mathematician <laughs> on the podcast? I thought I signed up for leadership. Well, 
Archimedes was the one who said, give me a lever long enough and a fulcrum on which to place it and single-handed, I shall move the world. And so I've come to believe that people can move their worlds in the arena of change by applying these eight levers or smart strategic actions that I outline in the book. And so what you end up doing is getting more done with fewer hassles, headaches, and problems than you ever imagined possible. And you do it because you have the power of leverage that actually using that lever and being able to push down on it at the right time for the right reasons makes change one of ease and I won't say simplicity, but one of ease and effectiveness that you can't find by trying to push harder against what it is you're trying to accomplish. And we can talk more about specific levers, but but that's really the concept behind it is smart strategic actions, small ones with big impact. Appreciate that. And I don't think we're going to get through all of the levers. Um, we want to give people a reason to come pick up the book, but let's talk about some of the ones that really caught my eye. And and the first one that you dig into is about paying attention to continuity. You know, you know, and you talk about, you know, going after and, and connecting with the risk resistors, having a big group together to really help kind of suss out what the plan's going to look like. What's the importance of continuity and how does it help you get through that change continuum more quickly? Yeah. So I believe you've got to learn to love your resistors, that that you've got to embrace them. And the reason is because, not because they're stick in the muds and they're difficult and frustrating. In fact, I wrote a book called, You Don't Have to Do It Alone, How to Involve Others to Get Things Done. And we had a whole section that we did on troublemakers. And we said the same thing about troublemakers as resistors. It's in the eye of the beholder. So if I have you be a troublemaker, if I have you be somebody who creates mischief for me that, you know, it's that person in the meeting who has one more thing to say, or when everybody's agreed, they bring up another point and they're, they're annoying, right? People don't like these folks. And what I've said to my clients and the people that I work with is, you know, these people are bringing gifts. They are covering your backside and they're seeing things that you don't see and they're paying attention to things that you're not paying attention to. So when we talk about troublemakers or resistors, what I say is there are four magic words. And I talk about them in the book. And I said, look, if more leaders use these words in conversations, the effectiveness of organizations would increase dramatically. The four words are, could you say more? So when somebody says something, normally we react to it and we're like, you know, I had a client tell me the other day that there was a direct report and they were talking to them about why things wouldn't work with this one project that they had. And I said to him, I said, well, what did, what did you do about them? And <laughs> my client said, well, I shut them down. I was tired of hearing about all this negativity. And I said, okay, well, let's go back to the drawing board. And what I talked to him about was, look, If you can start with, could you say more, especially when you feel the hairs on the back of your neck going up, especially when you feel like, you know, I've heard enough is the most opportunistic time to say, could you say more? And what you'll learn is the reasons underlying that person's position. You'll understand what the thinking is behind 
what they're saying, and you'll get to deeper meaning and understanding. And out of that will come a more informed decision. And I would argue at the end of the day, a more strategic decision. When I think about change, it's, it's, you know, there's a lot of different aspects to it. You know, there's this, the information concerns and the personal concerns, how it's going to affect me, how it's going to affect my day to day. But, you know, typically, um, at least here at Blanchard, I, I think our leaders do a good job of painting the picture of what the future could look like, right? So, it, you know, you know, it could be better. One of the things you talk about is to think and act as if the future were now. How do people do that when it is a bit of an arduous process to learn the new skills or, or unlearn some of the old habits and the things you've been doing um, that, that are holding you back from, from that new reality, you know, the bright and shiny future that the change is going to help you with? Yeah. So each of the levers, Chad, I designed to address a common problem that people and organizations bump up against when they're trying to create change. So the one that you identified, think and act as if the future were now, deals with the problem of change being too slow. And so when you are impatient and things aren't moving fast enough, you can pull this lever out and use it. So let's take a minute and talk about the lever. Most people, I believe, have a flawed perception, a flawed paradigm about the future. What we believe and we are taught is the future is something that will occur at a later point in time. It's in the distance. Uh, you know, vision 2025, we're going to get there in 2025. And so we purposefully disconnect ourselves from that future. And what I believe is that by shifting that paradigm, standing at its head and saying, no, I want to grab hold of the future, any image I have of what that looks like better in the future, grab it and pull it back into the present. Don't wait for it to unfold in front of you, but start thinking and acting as if that future were here, right here and right now. And I've got a story, a short one, where there were an executive team, they were trying to win over market share in a, in a new region, and they were debating about what was the right strategy. And the executive spent the morning having this debate, quite heated debate, they came up with two answers. And along with this, I was working with them on a culture change, and they were interested in being more participative. And so I said to them, I said, look, if you have that more participative culture alive and well in this organization today, how would you attack this situation? And they kind of looked at me and I said, no, no, put yourself in that future. What you want to create now, what decisions are you going to take? And they said, well, first of all, we don't have the right people in the room. I said, okay, well, who else do you need? They said, well, we should get salespeople from these regions that have one market share and this new region. And I said, great. Let's get them in. And so they started to get their calendars out and they were marking up the agenda for the next week's meeting. And I said to them, I said, we don't have to wait. Here and now, what can we do? And they were like, well, we could call these people. We could get people from the office in the, in the room. I said, get them. Let's live the future today and not talk about getting to it tomorrow. And they actually brought in, they had 45 people join this meeting, which was remarkable. And at the snap of a finger, and the rumor mill got out, like, what are they doing? They're bringing all these people into the meeting. So rather than having to prove to people you're serious about participation and have campaigns and slogans and all kinds of messaging, 
be participative in your culture. And they brought them in. They came up with an answer that nobody else had the whole morning. It was a better answer. And they had evidence that the participation was taking hold right there and then. So I often encourage my clients, I say, look, don't wait because you're going to be waiting as long as you believe you need to wait for that future to unfold. If you want to live it today, then make it real and find anything you can start doing today that is based on the future. And then as people look around left and right, they see others behaving as if the future were today. And then it starts to get confusing in a positive way because am I, am I, is that part of the future or is, is that part of my present? And as that line starts to get blurry, change starts to happen and it becomes a virtuous cycle. It'll happen faster and faster. The more and more people in your organization give themselves and you give them permission to think and act as if the future were now. There's a, an American movie. I share that because this has this podcast has a global audience, but in the late nineties called office space. And I, I'm not sure if you're familiar, but it, it, uh, it, whenever I think of change efforts and I think of, you know, consultants coming in, I think about the two bobs that are very disconnected from the business. And then they decide kind of what's going to happen, how the company is going to function going forward. And I bring that up to share that I've been a part of those change efforts where it does not feel homegrown. It does not feel like anybody was involved. You've talked about the value of involvement. You've talked about having big groups together so that everybody's voices are heard. But one of the things you also talk about and one of the levers of your book is the value of, of building the change, building it, building the plan yourself. In other words, not doing it from the outside, but actually doing it from the inside out. So uh, tell me more about why you think it's important for these, these change efforts to come from within versus to be kind of done to an organization from, from those outside forces, the two Bobs. Yeah, absolutely, Chad. So this deals with the problem of what I call the not invented here syndrome. And what this has sounded like in my career going through organizations is people saying, have you ever done this? And then they fill in the blank. Have you ever done this in our industry? Have you ever done this in our kind of organization? Have you ever done it in an our size team? And there are always these pushbacks against the approach before you even get to the change. And so what I did is I designed this lever that's called design it yourself. Design it yourself means take the best of your past and present. So we're not going to ignore what's worked in the past. We're going to grab hold of that and use it. And we're going to take accountability for designing what that needs to look like for our particular organization. So not only am I saying we need to take ownership for the change, but we need to take ownership for the approach that we take to making those changes. And a purpose, outcomes, roadmap, all of these things are things that you know, no two change efforts, I believe, should ever look exactly alike because you get locked into the method telling you what to do rather than the organization informing your decisions. And so if you design it yourself, then you got to listen to people in the organization and say, well, where should we go next? What's the next best move for us? How should we go about this? What have we done in the past that's worked and not worked about our change efforts? And how can we take the best of the past and present and a compelling possibility of the future and put them together. So I'm, I'm a big proponent of design it yourself. We get teams doing this design work. Leadership team members are represented on those teams. They're a microcosm of the organization. And I believe that they know best 
what work needs to be done and how best to do it. And the ownership goes through the roof because people own what they help create. And if we can find opportunities for people to make a meaningful difference, which is another one of the levers, to step up and be counted for in creating the organization's future, I think that's the kind of place people want to work. One of the things I love is is kind of creating easy wins for people, right? If you're showing somebody like teaching a kiddo how to how to hit a hit a baseball, right? You know, you start really small, give them some early wins before you start worrying about where their elbow is. And and in in the job, like taking on new technologies, you know, show me just enough of this frustrating CRM so at least I I don't feel like a complete idiot here. And I, one of the things that I that really resonated with me on your book is you you talk about. Um, that sort of that concept of of creating some early wins and then figuring out where the energy is and then kind of following that energy. What do you find when when change efforts really work out or where they don't work out, where people maybe bite up more than they 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 can chew or or they take those small bites and they they uh, have a more focused start approach? Yeah. So the the lever that that I think you're talking about is start with impact, follow the energy. And this deals with this problem that says, well, you know, all change efforts must start from the top. Or some people might come into an organization and say, well, they all need to start from the bottom. And you, you might even get a third group coming in and saying, no, no, the middle, the middle is the sweet spot. That's where we should start. And what I believe is that you ought to look for impact. Where is it going to make a difference? And in each organization, that's going to be a different answer. So sometimes easy wins are the way to go because you want to start stocking up on those wins and prove to people that in fact change can occur. In other cases, I've seen and I've worked with clients where we've gone after the tough nuts to crack first. And that has earned us the the legitimacy to do the work in the organization because people look at it and they say, no, no, they're they're not shying away from anything. They're taking on these tough issues directly. And so this must be for real. This is going to stick this time because we're not avoiding the difficult conversation. So starting with impact is really a question that you have to ask yourself in the organization to say, where is it going to make the biggest difference? And then based on that, the next step is to follow the energy. Where does the work want to happen? Who's eager for the work to do, to do the work? Who is it who's motivated? Who has energy? Who has a need? Follow that energy and it will take you to a good place. And so these change efforts that I work on move forward based on what's happening in reality, not some preconceived plan that, that I came up with or that my model says that we should do. It's really based on people in the organization grabbing hold of the steering wheel and saying, this is how we should best move forward. And so starting with impact for me, it, it, it's like it's the best move because you immediately make a difference. And as soon as you make a difference, whatever that difference is, people start paying attention. And otherwise, you get locked into these approaches that say, well, it's got to be one way or the other. And then you get people debating about it and people stop working on change and they start debating the method. Well, you know, why bother? So some of the things that I'm thinking about uh, in my current role is uh, we're looking at a, a different cost structure or a comp structure rather, we're, uh, we're tacking onto our CRM system. It's going to make it easier to work and, and make the view to the financial department, make a, 
make that easier. We're uh, we're going to serve our clients in a in a better way. We hope, and we're going to do this with with bringing on some outside sources. So like, like change is always happening, right? And so those are all very different things. And the communication of it, based upon your perspective, is is you you want people to to take on some of these efforts and be able to see themselves in the future. And and every organization, especially right now with what's going on with with uh, whether it's the great resignation or the fact that that uh, that if you're a, an able-bodied employee, there's a lot of competition for you out there. Organizations want people to see themselves, uh, see their people in the future of the organization. So when you take on some of these things that aren't super exciting as change efforts, how do you rally the troops so that people can can see themselves um, uh, as a part of the future and 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 want to be a part of that future when some of these things are are somewhat painful at times? Yep. So um, this deals with the problem that I call what's in it for me. And this is something that in organizations, you know, a lot of people ask these questions when change comes up. In fact, in, in my clients, um, they love acronyms. And so with them has become the way they talk about it, right? What's in it for me. And most people look at that and they say, that's kind of a selfish approach. I mean, you're kind of thinking out for number one, looking out for number one, and 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 not really looking at the greater good of the organization. This is going to help all of us. And my attitude towards that is, you know what? I call it human nature. What's in it for me? And if I can't have a compelling reason for me to participate in something, then there's a reason that I'm not participating. So the lever to deal with this that I developed is called develop a future people want to call their own. And what this means is that you've got to work hard to find a future and to describe it and define it in a way that people see themselves in it. And once you see yourself in that future, you're excited about it because you're in it. Now, what's in it for me is being part of that exciting future for the organization and what work I need to do and changes that I need to make. Those are all stepping stones along the way. But the idea of being worried about yourself, I think is a healthy anxiousness that people have around change. And if as an organization, you can craft a future that people want to claim and be part of, that what's in it for me conversation falls off the table. It's no longer relevant when I see a future I'm excited about. I'm not worried about what's in it for me anymore. I'm worried about how am I going to get to be part of that future? You know, the cool thing about change is once the project is over, there's never any more change. I'm ah. joke, joking, obviously, but, uh, right. you know, it's it's always been there constant change. And maybe it's not been as as obvious as it has in the last year and a half because of all the things that are going on globally and everything going on with the pandemic um, and and just the constant breakneck pace of change. Um, what are some of your tips and trips? What's your advice for how to be more adaptable to, to change, how to, how to make it more part of your daily life so that when you see it and when it comes up, you can take it on. It's as if it's something that there's muscle memory to say, I don't know what this project is. I don't know where it's going to go, but I'm ready to take it on. So I, I can I can make it a part of my day-to-day so that um, I am less flustered by it or it's less emotionally draining when the constant change keeps on churning. Yep. So in this case, Chad, what I would say is we're dealing with an issue that that, um, my clients call change fatigue. 
And what it means is exactly what you're saying. I mean, it, it just, you're, you're overwhelmed by the amount of change. And there's another reorganization coming and we just had one six months ago or there's a new ERP process that we need to implement. And, you know, we just finished trying to um, deliver the numbers for the fourth quarter. And all of these pressures that people feel is from too much change. So there is an uncommon wisdom, I call it, in the book. And one of the things about uncommon wisdom is that we take what I call a paradoxical approach to the situation. When people are struggling with too much change, the logical thing that people want to do is reduce the amount of change. I mean, that at face value makes sense. But a lot of times in organizations, that's not a viable alternative. It's not available to you to say, well, we, we just we won't bother with this competitor. We'll just ignore them. So the paradoxical approach to this change fatigue is to pay attention to continuity. And most people, when they're dealing with change, will talk about it, focus on it, try and achieve it. All of those are well and good, and they're one side of the coin. And I think if you can pay attention to both sides of that coin, continuity being the other side, you get a better picture of the whole situation. So what does this look like in practical terms? I've had leadership teams sit down and say, let's make a list of all of the changes that are going to occur as part of this effort we're undertaking. And they make a big, long list. And, you know, people, their body language tells you what's going on. And people, they start to slump down a little in their chairs and their voice gets a little slower and maybe deeper. And, you know, like there's a small sign of depression that sets in in the room because people feel this overwhelm. And then I say, all right, let's put those flip chart pages on the wall. Now, let's make a list of all those things that are going to stay the same in the organization, but this time make the list twice as long and build a list of continuity. What are all those things that we can count on that either have worked well in the past or we're going to continue doing into the future? And when they do that, they, they tend to start sitting up. They, you know, a little more upright voice, intonation, pace of speech, all these things pick up. And I believe it's because there's a sense of confidence and comfort that comes with continuity that gets ignored when we over-focus on change. And so paying attention to continuity and change at the same time and leveraging those and the tension between them, I think can lead to some remarkable results and that anxiety-ridden organization that you know we all have experienced by too much change, it gets lifted. And the way that I talk about it, Chad, I say metaphorically, it's like continuity gives us firm ground to stand on to take a leap into the unknown world of the future filled with change. And that continuity gives us that firm ground, which gives us the confidence to be able to tackle any kind of change that we've got coming down the pike. We're talking with Jake Jacobs, author of Leverage Change. And Jake, as we start to run down our time together, and I so appreciate you taking the time to connect with us and our, and our listeners, um, what is the one thing that you'd like our listeners who devote so much time and 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 take on everything that we share here on the leadership. What's the one thing that you want them to kind of take away from our conversation today? Embrace change. That there are ways with these levers 
to make it faster, easier, and better than you ever imagined possible. And I know because I've said to clients, like they've laid out a, a change effort and they've said, okay, we've got two years to do this. And I said, let's do it in one. And they're just like, what are you talking about? How can you cut the time in half? And I said, well, let's assume that we have now, how are we going to go about doing business? Because you can't get there incrementally. It is a paradigm shift of difference that we're talking about to cut 50% off. And I've done this with clients. We've cut 50% of time off the length of a, a planned effort. And so embracing change means that you grab hold of it and you know learn to love your troublemakers. Find ways for people to make a meaningful difference. All of these levers, think and act as if the future were now, can make change something that is easy, effective, and lasting in your organization. Jake, if people want to dig a little bit deeper into your work, if they want to learn a little bit more about your research and the things that you're doing out there, where would you send our listeners? Yeah, I would invite them to come straight to my website, which is jakejacobsconsulting.com. And on there, there is um, a free ebook. It's got 27 ways to put these levers to work immediately. And so of the eight levers, there's three, four ideas for specific actions that people can take right off the bat, pull down the ebook, open it up, pick one of the actions, and you will see that there's impact immediately from taking those actions. And so I think that would be the best first step that I would give people. And then having proven to themselves the value of it, go out and get the book because the book has a lot more of the details in it and a lot more of the um, stories. There's 44 stories in it of real people doing real work and real organizations making real changes. And I think that, you know, at the end of the day, it's great to hear a podcast and I, and I hope it's been helpful for your listeners and they've taken away a few things, but what I'm interested in is lasting impact. And so for them to be able to take something and put it to work in their environment and their organization, their teams, that's what I would like to see happen. And I really appreciate the opportunity for spending the time with you, Chad, and with your listeners. Yeah, it, it really is a fantastic book. I, I, I definitely uh, recommend it. Leverage Change by Jake Jacobs. Uh, uh, you mentioned it. Uh, great stories. I, I love the tactical aspect of the book because it's a it's an easy read, which is good for me. I, I have a lot of books on my desk, and I don't like to have that book guilt. And uh, easy read, um, but it's very tactical. You can you can immediately use some of these ideas. And I love the real world stories that you put in there. That's I feel like this book was written for me. So hopefully our viewers and our listeners as well. So Jake, thank you so much for being on the Leader Chat podcast. It was an absolute pleasure to talk to you today. Thanks so much, Chad, as well. I, I appreciate the opportunity. And thank you for joining us for today's podcast. If you enjoyed this interview and like to learn more and also help us grow the audience, please subscribe to the Leader Chat podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play, or wherever you're listening. And please share this with your friends. The best way you can help us grow, though, is feedback. As Ken Blanchard says, feedback is the breakfast of champions. So please write us a review if you haven't already. And by the way, this podcast is sponsored by the Ken Blanchard Companies. If you'd like to learn more, there's even a lot of free resources to better yourself and your organization. Go to KenBlanchard.com. You'll find all kinds of free tools and materials to help you 
and others grow. Thanks again to our guests for joining us today. For now, I have the pleasure of turning it over to Ken Blanchard for his thoughts on what we discussed. Here it is, your final minute with Ken Blanchard. Hey, Chad, what a powerful interview with Jake Jacobs on his book, Leverage Change. He said not resisting change, leverage it, use it. Eight ways to achieve faster, easier, better results. Isn't that powerful? So rather than looking at change as something resist, he really feels strongly that we need to embrace change, leverage it, attack it, you know, go for it. And and uh, I, I just think he's so right. And uh, he wants you to kind of, sure, look at continuity, what's happening now, but change is around us all the time with COVID and all those kind of crazy things. And I love the way he says that we need to embrace change. Is he, he says we need to love the troublemakers, you know, the people who are resisting. You know, uh, ask them what their problem is. Listen to them. Get their suggestions and all. And overall, he wants you to find ways to make it possible for everyone in the organization to feel like they have made an impact and a contribution to change. So thanks, uh, Chad. Thanks, Jake. I tell you, with all the change moving around us now, uh, this book could not be more important than it is right now. So read it, share it with your people, and apply it. Use it. Do something with it. God bless. Thank you.